1, the writer states, as was just read, that long ago, at many times, in many ways, God spoke to us by the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us by his Son. What is stressed in this passage is the extraordinary fact that God has spoken to us by his Son, his Son who is so much superior to the prophets of old. Therefore, his Son should be listened to. So the natural follow-up questions are why? Why is Jesus so superior to the prophets who went before him? The answer is because he's the son of God. He's the son of God. So what does it mean that he's the son of God? And what did he do? Well, the first week, Pastor Cruz led us in a study that taught us that the son of God is appointed the heir of all things and the one through whom the world was made. Last week, I exegeted the phrase in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And today, in seeking to understand uh, more fully who Jesus is, our focus is upon the phrase in verse 3, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He is the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power. So what does that mean? That's what we want to unpack this morning. And first of all, we know that it means that the Son of God sustains all things. If you notice in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2, at the end of verse 2, it states that he created the world. Now the emphasis is upon the continuing relationship of the Son to his creation. We learn that in addition to creating all things, the Son also sustains all things. For if you look at verse 3, the word universe, where it says that he upholds the universe, is literally all things. All things. That's what the original says. And so as we think about The universe, as the ESV is translating this, we're to think about every single created thing. Every single created thing he upholds by the word of his power. During the time of the founding of our nation, the notion of deism was very popular. Deism is the belief in the existence of a supreme being, specifically of a creator, who does not intervene in the universe. The term is used chiefly of an intellectual movement of the 17th and 18th centuries that accepted the existence of a creator on the basis of reason, but rejected belief in a supernatural deity who interacts with humankind. That statement comes from Wikipedia. In the view of deism, God is likened unto a watchmaker, one who creates the watch, winds the mechanism so that it will run, but has no further involvement with the watch. There are many still today that have that concept 
of the creator God. Namely, that he created all things, and then he established natural laws that basically function on their own, and he is distant, apart from, and does not in any way interact with his creation. That God has no activity in the day-to-day ordering of his creation. However, the scriptures teach that the Son of God not only created all things, but he continues to sustain all things. In reference to Christ, Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 says this, And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Thus the thought of the agency of the Son of God is that he holds all things together. Their continuation is accomplished through the work of the Son. All of creation is dependent upon the Son of God for its continuance. Later in this very same chapter, in chapter 1, in Hebrews we have God the Father addressing God the Son. If you look with me at verse 5, note in verse 5, God the Father is speaking. Hebrews 1.5. For to which of the angels did God, referring to God the Father, ever say, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now if you look down at verse 8, God the Father is speaking to God the Son concerning the Son's reign. Verse 8, but of the Son, he, the he is God the Father, says, your throne, O God. Now that's very significant. That's powerful. God the Father refers to God the Son as God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond our companions. Then God the Father speaks of the Son's work in creating the world, verse 10. And you, Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands, in keeping with what has already been said in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2. Now this is a quotation from Psalm 102, and God the Father continues in uh, speaking, and again, it's a continuation of Psalm 102, starting at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11. Even they will perish, referring to creation, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The emphasis is that this world, as we know it, is decaying. It is falling apart. 
As a result of the fall, as a result of Adam and Eve's sin, death entered the world and has affected every single aspect of creation. And as we think about creation, it is falling apart. It is decaying. You know, sometimes we live in a measure of denial and we don't like to think about our frailty and we want to kind of ignore or hide the fact that we are decaying. We dye our hair sometimes. We have facelifts. We do a measure of things in order to try to look younger. Uh, We live in denial. We try to think about ourselves as being young, Uh, but anybody who's in their 50s know that they can't run and play sports like they did when they were in their teens and their 20s. We are falling apart. Furthermore, all of creation is wearing out. It's, it's not just us as human beings, but all of re- creation is wearing out like a suit of clothes. Hebrews 1.11, they will perish, but you remain. They all wear out like a garment. As we think of this creation, as we think of this world, natural resources are being used up. The ozone layer is gradually disintegrating. This world is coming unglued. And the only thing that is keeping all of creation together, the only thing that is keeping it functioning, the only thing that is sustaining it is the power of the Son of God. All things, the scripture says, he holds together. That's an important lesson for us to learn. And we should look to the Son of God to continue to strengthen us, continue to help us, and to continue to aid us in keeping it together, as it were. Jesus, in a unique way, holds families together that look to him. Not only does he hold families together, but he holds us together so that we don't become unglued, so that we don't fall apart in times of hardship and difficulty. But we can continue on and we can maintain our relationship with God and with others. But the emphasis is that he holds all things together. He sustains everything. And in this passage, we are to remember that that one who holds All things together is the one through whom God the Father has spoken to us. And therefore, we should listen to him. We should seek his guidance. We should seek his help. We should honor his word. But it's more than the fact that he merely holds things together. When I say merely, uh, certainly that is an incredible function of the Son of God. But it isn't just the fact that he's holding the things together. But it's talking about the way in which he does so. It's talking about the fact that he upholds all things by 
the word of his power. And what is being conveyed to us is that Son of God not only holds things together, but he governs, rules, oversees all things. And that governance has many implications. It is not simply the fact of Christ's governance or sovereignty that is in view, but the manner in which that governance is manifested. We often refer to the sovereignty of God, referring to the power that he has over all things and that he rules all things. We know that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. But what is being emphasized in this passage is not merely the fact of his governance, but the manner of his governance. If you look at verse 3, it says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Now we want to consider that word uphold, uphold. In the original, the word that is translated as uphold is literally the word to carry, to carry. And it's an extremely important word throughout the scriptures in association with governance. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word that corresponds to the Greek word in our uh, text is often translated as carried, carried. And so we want to look at some Old Testament passages this morning to help us understand what it means that he upholds or carries all things. The first is that we note that the Son of God governs in the sense that he watches over and cares with a wonderful nurturing quality so that his governance has this nurturing quality. The care that one would give from the birth of a child onward. If you turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 46, please turn there and as you do, take your bulletin or your finger or something and keep it here because we're going to be coming back to it again in the future. But uh, we begin by starting with Isaiah chapter 46, verse 3. Isaiah 46, 3. Reading at Isaiah 46, verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born, that's to be carried, by me from before your birth. So God is watching over, protecting the house of Jacob even before they are born, even as they are carried in the womb, even as they are conceived. Born by me from before your birth, end of verse 3, carried from the womb, that is corresponding to our word, 
upholds, carried from the womb. Verse 4, even to your old age, there's that sustaining aspect. Here is that continuation. From birth, even to your old age, I am he. And to gray hairs, I will carry you. That's our word. I have made and I will bear. I will carry and will save. So here is this aspect of, of God who carries his people from the, even before the time that they're born, right up unto their very elderly age. And the promise is that he will save, he will deliver, he will help, he will come to their aid. He will come to their aid. Listen to how this same word is used with Moses in connection to his oversight, governance of the children of Israel. You don't need to turn there, just listen. But now I'm reading from Numbers chapter 11, starting at verse 11. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people upon me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give to their fathers? So here, Moses is lamenting the responsibility that God has given Moses to govern the children of Israel, to provide for them, to protect them, to do all these things. And he describes it in this way of like a nurse carries a young child and brings them, he says, uh, to the land that is sworn to give to their father. So there's that aspect again of continual care, continual oversight, continual direction, but in a very compassionate and nurturing way. That is the first way in which we're to understand Christ's governance over all things. That which he created, he continues to carry, he continues to nurture, he continues to develop. He continues to watch over. Secondly, the Son of God governs by personally accepting the responsibility to meet the needs of his people. The Son of God makes our problems his problems. He's not aloof, he's not afar off, and he certainly is not indifferent to our needs. Uh, sometimes you hear about leaders, rulers, people in authority, and we speak of them as being insensitive or impervious to the needs of their people. They have a deaf ear. They don't understand what is happening to those that they are overseeing, that they are ruling over. 
Sometimes these earthly rulers are indifferent and seem to care less. But we find out that Jesus fully identifies with the needs of his people. And not only does he identify with them, not only is he aware of them, but he takes personal responsibility for meeting those needs. And certainly salvation is the greatest example of that. And going on in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it goes on to say, He upholds all things by the word of his power. And when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, it's referring to salvation, it's referring to this governance of the world, and he uses that governance to provide salvation for us. You don't need to turn there, but listen to the very familiar words of Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, that says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Carried our sorrows. Remember back in Isaiah, in uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, this aspect of upholding is really the word to carry. And so it says that he carried our sorrows, meaning that he took his sorrow, our sorrows upon himself. He took our need of salvation upon himself. He was concerned and in his governance brings this provision to bear by his own self-sacrifice. So he's willing, as the Son of God, to make personal sacrifices in order to meet the needs of his people and his creation in total. We use as our call to worship this morning, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, all of which to describe the governance, the rule that's been given to this son. And we find out that he governs by personally accepting responsibility to meet the needs of those whom he governs. And then lastly, we learn that the Son of God governs with a wise plan and agenda. Back to Isaiah chapter 46. Hopefully you kept your finger there. Isaiah 46, and I'm now going to pick up with where we stopped in verse 8. Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this. Stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times things not yet done, saying, that's an important word we're going to look at in just a moment, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed, and I will do it. So God carries out, if you will, his agenda. 
He brings it to fruition. He completes it. What is important in the context of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, is, is that he does all this by what is referred to in verse 3 as the word of his power. The word of his power, or his powerful word. His powerful word. In verse 3, the word that's translated as word is not the Greek word logos. That is what we often think of when we think about the word, in the beginning with the word, the word is with God, the word was God, all that is the word logos. And it is quite normative in the New Testament. This, is the wor- this word in the original is the word rhema. It is also not a very unusual word. It's used 67 times in the New Testament. But the emphasis of the rhema is that it is a saying. It is a saying. It's an expression of a sentiment. And so it can be broad. It can be a statement. It can be a declaration. It can be a pronouncement. It can be a decree. But it is a statement. It is a saying that is expressed. And the point is that God's sayings, his word, as we use the word in English sometimes, we'll say, brother, uh, do you want to give us a word? (laughs) At that point, we're not saying you're going to, you got one word you can use. We're saying, we want to hear from you. Uh, We want you to make a statement. We, We want you to speak. So here the emphasis is on God's saying, what God says. And the idea here is that he upholds everything that he says. Everything that he says, he's going to do. And he does it by simply the power of saying so. By the power of his statement. His statement in and of itself has power. Whatever he says is going to come to pass. Even as he spoke And the world was created. Did not take any effort. Did not take any angels. Did not take other action. He spoke and this world came into being. His word is going to be carried out. It can't be thwarted. Again, Isaiah 46, 8. I have purposed and I will do it. That's important for us to keep in mind because we live in a day and age, a time when even decrees of those who are in authority seem to mean nothing, seem to be almost irrelevant. If you think of government at almost any level today, executive orders, Statements, decrees, are routinely ignored. When we think of powerful institution, we think of courts and the decisions that they are making. People routinely reject those decisions. Say they're wrong. They don't apply to us. They are not meaningful to us. It is common when people in authority 
speak to us and tell us what to do. We say, why? We don't need to do that. And then we ask the question, what are you going to do about it? If we just don't listen, what are you going to do? How are you going to enforce it? How are you going to make it impact or impinge upon my life? Why should I listen to any authority? That's where we are today. Don't confuse that with the authority of the Son of God. What he says, he will do. What he decrees will come to pass. The judgments that he makes will not be ignored. There will be consequences to disobedience. The Son of God has and will make judgments. And those judgments will be carried out. They'll be enforced. His word, his statements, his pronouncements are powerful. They are not empty or in vain. Turn with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. Jesus speaking. John chapter 5. Looking at the powerful word of Jesus. John chapter 5, starting at verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Verse 22, for as the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. The Son has complete governance. The Son is going to be the one who makes judgment. And particularly concerning life and death. Particularly concerning resurrection. Concerning eternal life. The intended purpose is given in verse 23 of chapter 5, that all may honor the Son as they honor the Father. So we should think of the Son in the same way that we think of the Father. He is worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. He is worthy of all worship. He is on the same plane, if you will, as God the Father. He is not lesser than in any way. He should be held in the same regard and esteem as the Father. Now there is a statement, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, a repetition, so that we would understand that what Jesus says is truth. It is reliable. You can count on it. You can bank on it. You should listen to it. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spoken time past, has in these last days spoken to us to his Son. Listen to what his Son says. Verse 24, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, that's the word for logos, 
and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death unto life. What God has decreed is going to come to pass. Verse 25, truly, truly, I say to you, repeated. And here's the statement. An hour is coming, and now is, where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He upholds all things by the word of his power. He says they are going to hear his voice, and they will live. All this will be done merely by the power of the Son of God's word. Verse 25. When the dead hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. The resurrection from the dead is going to happen through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to happen through the power of his word. He is simply going to speak and the dead will rise. And to illustrate that great truth, when you get to John chapter 11, if you remember the story of the death of Lazarus. Lazarus was a friend of Jesus. Lazarus was loved by Jesus. And Mary and Martha had sent word to Jesus before Lazarus had died that he was sick near unto death. And the scripture says that for three days, Jesus waited to travel to see Lazarus. And the reason that he waited was he waited for Lazarus to die. And he said to his disciples, you're going to see the power of God. Mary and Martha went out to see Jesus after Lazarus had died as Jesus was coming into the city. And they said unto him, Lord, if you had been here our brother would not have died. Jesus said unto Martha, Martha, Martha. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? And she said, yea, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. She gave a stock theological answer. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the one who comes into the world. But she was not expecting Lazarus to literally be raised from the dead. If you know the story, he comes to the tomb. And it says that he said with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And that Lazarus who had been dead for three days, who was bound in grave clothes, got up and walked out of that tomb. And Jesus performed that miracle to illustrate the truth, to provide evidence, to bring support to his statement that when people hear my voice, they will rise from the dead. That is his powerful word.
That's what his word is able to do. His decisions are final and his statements, his prophetic statements, his decrees, everything that he says, the entirety of his word is going to come to pass. John chapter 5, verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. The son of man. Don't confuse the governance of Jesus with the governance that's taking place in our world today. There are many that are seeking to ignore what Jesus says. There are many who don't listen to the message of salvation. There are many who reject the idea that they have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There are a host who do not accept the idea that they need forgiveness for their sin that only Jesus can provide. They reject the notion that Jesus' governance is kind and compassionate. They reject the notion that they are dependent upon him for life, even for the sustaining of life today. And they're raising a fist just as people do to government and saying, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? As though there is not going to be any consequence. As though what he says is not going to come pass. As though there is not going to be a day of judgment. As though Jesus died in vain, that he came to die on the cross, but it doesn't have anything to do with eternal life. There is no fear of hell or separation from God. But Jesus' statement will come true. They fail to recognize his grace, his mercy, the long-suffering nature of his spirit. But his decrees will be enforced, not by an angelic host, not by all of his people rising up and defending his authority, but all judgment has been given unto him. And in the day of judgment, there will be people upon whom he will say, Depart from me, I never knew you. And that word is enough. And they will be consigned to everlasting destruction simply by his word. Therefore, first of all, we should marvel that God would speak to us through his son that God would reveal his word to us, that God would make statements to us, that God would tell us of our need. He would tell us of our provision. God reveals his plans to us. He reveals the way of salvation. He reveals what is going to happen to the end of this world. 
He reveals to us that everything that we see around us is ultimately going to be destroyed, that he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. He tells us the end from the beginning. He informs us. We should prize his word. We should listen to his word. We should meditate upon his word. Through that word, we should learn that he sustains all things. So we should understand our need for a continual relationship to the word of God. We need to be reading the scriptures. We need to be praying. We need God to hold us together tenderly, compassionately, as a parent cares for a child. We should marvel that he rules selflessly, personally sacrificing for the needs of his people. That in this sustaining of all things, it's remarkable that the Son of God would come into this world in order to be humiliated, in order to give up all his glory to be born as a babe, lying in a manger, and experience the ridicule and the mockery from the day of his birth until his hanging upon the cross. And he does all so that our sins can be forgiven, that we can enjoy peace with God, and that he is going to reconcile all things unto himself, meaning that this creation is going to be renewed and restored one day. He rules wisely with a plan in view. And he rules powerfully. Powerfully just by his word. Needing no other agency to accomplish it. Dependent upon no one or no other authority. Without any effort. Without a struggle. No one is going to resist. No one is going to say a word. When the time comes to execute, to carry out his judgment, he will simply speak and it will be done. To illustrate that great truth, if you remember the garden, the night before into the morning of the day of the crucifixion. The Roman army came to arrest Jesus. And they asked him if he was the perpetrator that they were looking for. If you remember the story, he simply says, I am. And what happened? The Roman army fell at his feet. He didn't have to say anything. Peter had drawn a sword. Peter had cut off the ear of Malchus. Jesus says, put up your sword, Peter. He heals the ear of Malchus. Simply to note and to illustrate for his disciples, all he has to do is speak. And the Roman army falls before him. He sustains, he governs 
everything simply by his powerful word. Marvel at that word. Respect that word. Value that word. Learn from that word. And most significantly this morning, be comforted by that word. Not a, jo- not a jot, not a tittle will pass away before all of the word of God is accomplished. That's who Jesus is. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the Son. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who holds all things by his powerful word. Lord, may we glorify the Son of God. May we value, cherish, respect, give ourselves to a greater understanding of your word. But Lord, bring to us the conviction, the assurance that even as Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, that all who hear my voice and listen will rise from the dead. Lord, we, we thank you for your governance over this world. And we acknowledge your power and the truth of your word that everything that you have said will come to pass. And no one No thing will be able to stand against you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.